prayed. Jonathan asked me probably three or four weeks ago. And as I thought about doing this topic, at first it was like, yeah, I don't know. Okay, why would he ask me? And then I realized that I'm the second oldest person in this congregation, and I probably have more loss than all of you. And um, <coughs> But still, kind of uh, as, as it went on this week and I began to really put my thoughts together, I realized that... Um, <coughs> I would really rather do a topic on friendship or joy or hospitality or peace or grace or anything but laws because <laughs> it didn't sound very fun. But here goes. Um, <laughs> weird. Okay. Um, can we put the quotes up on the screen? <clears throat> Could these statements be true? Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful transportation transportation, transformation, transformation happen if we have the courage to participate fully in the process. Now these are my words. Loss breaks something in us, and it's through that brokenness that beautiful growth, new life, can emerge if we have the courage and faith to experience the pain and surrender fully to the lover of our soul. And as I first had those two statements, I thought, um, oh, that really sounds good. And then as I went on in the week and started to process some losses, I, I started to think, okay, now, Elaine, do you really believe these things? Do you really believe? So, <coughs> uh, first of all, we're going to, like, maybe, I, is there anybody in the congregation named Debbie? Okay, well, the first, like, Two-thirds of my talk this morning is probably going to be a Debbie Downer. Uh, I hate that Debbie was <laughs> named Debbie and you call it Debbie Downer. But anyway, so it's pr probably going to be some stuff that we don't want to hear. But there is really good news at the end. So kinds of loss. Um, as I started thinking about my losses, uh, I started thinking of all the, all the different kinds of loss. And would you just go through these with me and think about maybe where you are or maybe someone close to you and the kinds of losses. You know, we lose loved ones to death. Um, we probably, as children, start out losing great-grandparents, grandparents. Um, then we eventually lose parents. We lose siblings. We sometimes lose children, friends, mentors, teachers, extended family, and pets. And I put pets in there because sometimes that's one of our first losses is a pet. But those are all things that have little tentacles to them because we actually have that loss of that person or that body, that pet, whatever. But then there's a bunch of losses that surround that. Um, we can lose freedoms, um, physical freedom. Think about going to jail or prison, you know, how, what, what that would do and how you could lose that freedom. And maybe some of you have been there at one time or another. Also, uh, we lose freedom through uh, disabilities. Um, sometimes we have disabilities that take something away from us and we can't do it anymore. Um, we can lose freedoms through addictions, through finances, through mental limitations. We can lose religious freedoms. We can lose freedom of speech. There's a lot of those kind of losses. Um, <coughs> careers. Um, I have a, a, a relative who 
<coughs> was a, a medical doctor, a brilliant medical doctor, but lost his license. So in that, uh, until he would get it back, he's lost his career. Um, we lose jobs, businesses, um, professional status, income, um, financial status, money, crops. Um, we can lose possessions, a home, a vehicle, sometimes not having enough food, all kinds of possessions we lose. We lose relationships. Sometimes we lose marriage. Uh, we, use a f we lose a family unit, like a mom and a dad and our whole family unit. Um, maybe we lose a love, someone leaves. Um, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiance, a best friend, a group of friends. Sometimes we lose communities and countries and we lose intimacy through those relationships. Um, we all eventually sort of you lose our youth and our childhood and uh, play and innocent, innocence. Um, then there's the issue of health. We, we can lose health. We can lose mobility, physical independence, physical senses. I have a girlfriend who can't taste, she can't smell. She's lost that sense completely. Um, we lose mental clarity, we can lose sleep, mental health, memory. Um, and then there are things like, sometimes we lose respect, integrity, a good reputation, self-control, intimacy, faith, trust, a sense of well-being, peace, dreams, expectations, energy, drive. Sometimes we lose our way, and we always sort of lose time, you know? It's like we can't get yesterday back. So, exciting? <laughs> Are y'all excited yet? <laughs> okay, well... Uh, the thing about losses is um, they seem to interrupt our normal lives. And we none of us really want a loss. I mean, loss is just kind of one of those things we don't want to talk about, we don't want to think about. They create pain. They create heartache. They create frustration. Um, yet, if you think about it, in normal life, we have losses all the time. And we have little deaths all the time. In fact, loss is inevitable. Um, the loss is also unavoidable. And the older you get, the more you lose. Um, in fact, eventually, we lose or leave everything here on Earth and everyone here on Earth. So, still excited? Still gotcha? <laughs> okay. Well, then we have to ask the question, okay, if loss is inevitable, and you and I have losses all through our life, even as children, um, the question is, um, how do we handle those losses? And um, first I'm going to start about talking about some unhealthy ways, but they're, they're ways that we go through, and they're processes that we go through. 
number one is denial and isolate. Denial and isolation. Um, we run away from losses. Um, we hide. Remember that game you played as a child, hide and seek? We sometimes play that all through life. We hide. Um, we stuff our losses, you know, so we don't have to feel them, feel the pain. Um, we pretend that, they, that we don't have a loss. We underestimate the loss. Uh, we mask the loss. We put a mask on. Um, or we try to take control of the loss. Another way is anger. Um, sometimes we're angry at others. A lot of times we're angry at God. A lot of times we're angry at ourselves. Um, and through that anger, a lot of times we do the blame game um, and blame a lot of times leads us to bitterness and unforgiveness. Then there's the bargaining and the exchange. And when I think of bargaining and exchange, I think I'm going to help myself feel better. I'm going to bargain. I'm going to bargain. I'm going to find something that can help this loss feel better. So um, I am going to work 24-7 because if I work 24-7, I have to think about this loss. Or I need to comfort this pain within me. So maybe I'm going to eat a little more chocolate cake, or I'm going to medicate this loss through alcohol, pornography, drinking, whatever, shopping. Uh, there's a million ways, you know, surrounding myself with people, being too busy, but there's lots of bargainings. We exchange that pain for something that makes us feel better. And then there's depression, and I don't feel like I've experienced a lot of depression, but I think when it comes to loss, when we allow our loss to interpret and limit or control our future and then focus on that, we focus on that limitation, focus on what we think that limitation is or we think that how that loss is going to control our future, it starts to press us in. It depresses us, presses us in. So, um, and then the last list of ways we handle loss is finally acceptance. And acceptance is good um, because we acknowledge it, we begin to feel it, but we can still take acceptance um, and, and not be healthy with acceptance because it's all what we do with that, all what we do after we accept the loss. Um, <coughs> So I was thinking of a lot of people's stories I could tell you, and um, I know a few of, of losses. And then I felt like the Lord said to me, but what about your story? And I said, well, you know, I hate to tell my story. I don't really need to tell my story. Nobody needs to hear my story. And God said, no, I think maybe it's time for you to tell your story. So this is probably the hardest part of my journey in this is to open up and be vulnerable with you about me. Um, had a very happy childhood, grew up in the 50s and 60s. Nobody locked their doors. My dad left his keys in the car. Everybody I knew went to church. All my neighbors were f had moms and dads that stayed at home, not stayed at home, but lived together, um, lived in a Midwest, um, and childhood was 
amazing and great. Had parents that knew the Lord, loved Jesus, talked about Jesus, had personal relationship. Yay. Um, had a great youth group when I went to high school. Uh, we spent two and three hours in prayer meetings. I mean, we really, really knew Jesus and had great times and really had, had it was healthy and it was fun and, and I wasn't rebellious in high school and, and things were great. Uh, came to college, uh, Manhattan Christian College, actually, in the 70s. And though the 70s, 60s and 70s were the, you know, free love era, um, it was also the Jesus movement. And I got caught up in the Jesus movement, and that was exciting. That was fun. So I basically what I'm telling you is I had every reason to success, to have success in my Christian walk and in my life. Um I, until I ran into a conflict, um, and it was an administrator um, at a, a Christian school who um, began to, who was not a good person, and did some really not good things to um, young women, me being one of those young women, and not knowing how to handle loss, the loss of, of just expectation and the loss of of who is this and the loss of what do I do with this um, I ran away I left the Christian college I left church and um, I began to work here in town and I was gonna go to um, K-State I get my residency so I could go to K-State and and I did all of that and uh, I met my first husband at work and um, he was uh, he was a, a funny person that made me laugh a lot, and he had a really good heart, and, but he didn't know Jesus until like two days before we were married, and he accepted the Lord through our counseling. And I didn't know, but nobody was going to come to my wedding if he didn't accept Jesus. It was like, my dad wasn't going to give me away, and my sister wasn't going to be my bridesmaid, and all of her kids weren't going to be in my wedding, but nobody told me that, but... You know, hallelujah, he accepts Jesus. But um, anyway, um, he was a, a really good guy, um, but he was a very wounded soul as well. He was broken and hurting and had a lot of self-hatred and bitterness at the time that we were married. And so um, there, I dealt with, uh, a in a relation. I was in a relationship with a lot of anger and um, I didn't know what to do with that anger, but soon I had three children in three years, and so when you have three kids in three years, it's like you really can't think of anything else except feeding mouths and <laughs> cleaning up noses and, you know, wet beds and all that kind of stuff, and so um, I became very busy and uh, started to stuff things and just stuff feelings and stuff emotions and... I would have called myself the great pretender because I didn't talk about it, and I went to church, and I, of course, was not perfect at all. I had a lot of uh, raw emotions. In fact, I remember the first year of marriage, I felt like I cried the whole year of marriage, and maybe everybody does that the first year of marriage, but I didn't know where to go for help, even though I was we were in church. Um, so I stuffed. And eventually, I became emotionally, I emotionally left the marriage. Um, I just checked out um, and kind of did my own thing, and um, my kids became my life. 
And as time went on, a bitter root developed, and then um, I eventually physically left the marriage. And so I had a failed marriage, and I felt very uh, heartbroken about that and very much like it was my, a, a big part of, I had a big part of that. It was um, a lot of hurt inside of me. I made choices outside of God's will. And uh, I decided that I needed to make some controls to get my needs met. I needed to control some things in my life and needed to make some choices to get my needs met because I didn't think they were being met. Um, so um, not a great time, uh, but go on to a second marriage because, you know, uh, you marry somebody else, it's always going to get better, right? So... <laughs> Uh, went on to a second marriage and uh, had a blended family. We had six children between us. Um, and in that marriage, I um, was, you know, trying to be the perfect wife again. And to please my husband, I had um, teens that were rebelling. Uh, I had troubled uh, small stepdaughter uh, that was having trouble. Um, loss of, I had a, loss, a lot of loss of friends from my divorce. Uh, loss of community, loss of self-respect. Um, I just, uh, but uh, you know what? You know what you do. You put on the happy face. In fact, I wanted to play Dick Van Dyke's version of, you know, put on a happy face. I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but it's really goofy and <laughs> it means that it doesn't matter what happens. You put on happy face. So I put on that happy face. But after a year of. Um, in my second marriage that wasn't going really well. Um, actually, during the first year of my second marriage that wasn't going very well, we found out that my sister um, had fourth stage melanoma. Now, I only had one sibling. Um, my sister was seven years older than me, and she was my very best friend. And she kind of was my rock. She was my Jesus. She was my Jesus with skin on. She was uh, a spiritual mentor to, to me. And she was like the most fun person I knew. I mean, you could be around Diane and just laugh and laugh, you know. Everybody that walked in her home felt welcome. She uh, had adopted three children and had three of her own. And she got Mother of the Year in Nebraska. And she was just always the best. A big of a big sister, and so we found out she was 46 years old. I was uh, 40, and we found out she had melanoma cancer, fourth stage. So the first uh, year and a half of our marriage, um, I went through the dying process of my only sibling, and um, that was really, really tough. It was probably one of my very, very hardest losses, um, and. Three weeks after my sister passed, my um, sweet, wonderful, amazing um, daughter, who had rebelled, had her first, my first grandbaby. And we gave that first grandbaby, she gave that first grandbaby up for adoption. I was very proud of her for carrying that child. Um, but it was really a hard, hard time. So, um, the second marriage, like I said, wasn't really going that great. Um, my daughter actually hated um, both me and her stepdad for a long, long time. And, um, and probably with, you know, she probably needed to, but anyway. Um, 
I felt like my husband was becoming frustrated and falling out of love. And uh, every issue that my children had, I blamed myself because of the guilt that I was carrying and the loss that I had never dealt with. And so um, after, a f after a few years of being in my second marriage, I left that marriage as well. And um, moved to Colorado and was ready to go on with life. And then uh, God interrupted me and said, no, go home. And uh, I cried for about two weeks, and then I came home. And um, that was about the time that my best friend, who I had started calling sis, because after my sis left us, she became the sister I never had, and she never had a sister. Um, she, I found myself in oncology with her, and she, um, a few months later, died of leukemia. So um, there I was, and you know what? All that stuffing and all that pretending and all that putting on a happy face and all those little problems that I thought I had or little losses that I had that weren't really little losses that I didn't know how to process, they all caught up with me. And um, so uh, the good news is that uh, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a happy ending to the story. Um, you know, when we look in the Bible and we see Job, we see that Job had uh, lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his reputation. He lost his crops. He lost his home. He lost everything. Um, you know, there are 35 chapters of the book of Job that are nothing but um, Job crying out to God, wild prayers, screaming his feelings to God, weeping, doubting, wondering where God was, 35 chapters. So that's part of what the Bible tells us. Also, David, who had a heart after God. They said, God said David had a heart after God. Two-thirds of the Psalms that David most likely wrote are laments and complaints to God. Um, Jesus, we look at Jesus, and he wept when Lazarus died. Maybe he wept for Lazarus, maybe he wept for the family, but, but Jesus wept. In Ecclesiastics, uh, Ecclesiastics 3 tells us there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. But guess what, guys? Mourning's hard. You know, who wants to mourn? Who wants to talk about loss? Who wants to have those feelings? Who wants to go there? I don't know if you do, but I don't. I never really have. Um, but we need to visit those places of loss and learn how to mourn and go to God and surrender our losses and brokenness or we're never, ever going to heal. It's going to become a cancer within us. Um, the Bible talks a lot about the brokenhearted. If you're hurting or you have a broken spot in you uh, from a loss, if you just Google brokenhearted scriptures, you won't believe how many scriptures come up about the brokenhearted. Come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and delivers those who are discouraged. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds, and on and on and on. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the seed that gives us, the seed breaks that gives us the wheat. 
The soil breaks to give us the crop. The sky breaks to give us the rain. The wheat breaks to give us the bread. The bread breaks to give us the feast. So we don't need to be afraid of being broken because out of brokenness can come beautiful things. Um, <coughs> in Psalm 106, uh, we learn about the Israelites. And the Israelites are just, we're just like the Israelites. I hate to say it. I never want to think it, but we are. We're just like the Israelites. Um, okay, right after they, God parted the Red Sea for them and they went through the dry ground of the Red Sea and he destroyed all their enemies. It says they, they then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Next verse. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave way to their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to their test. So he gives them what they're craving for, but he puts leanness in their soul because it wasn't him. Then they make an image, an idol, and, um, and they worship this idol. And they become what they worship. That's what they begin to reflect. What they pay attention to is what they reflect. And when we are made in the image of God, when we worship that image, that God, we can reflect his glory. So basically, what do we do? We forget what he has done. We don't wait for his counsel. We give in to our cravings. We put God to the test. We find or create false idols, and we exchange our glory, the glory of God, for the glory of an idol. Okay, back to me. What happened to me after all those years was I finally had a revelation. I actually went to the altar of a Nazarene church in Junction City, and I knew that that altar was going to be full of probably half of the church because I was so touched in this service. I went to the altar just doing the ugly cry that was loud, you know, the boo-hoo-hoo stuff. And, but anyway, I was the only one at the altar. And <laughs> and the revelation, though, the, the, the thing that God really spoke to my heart that day was that um, I had become a man pleaser, and that was hard, and that doesn't work. But if I could be a God pleaser, then everything else would be okay. And I know that just sounds like really probably like nothing, but it was absolutely huge to me. And it began to change my life. So after that, I uh, got into a support group that um, helped me to understand. I started, began to surrender to God every day. I got into a support group, a small group, that helped me to face my broken places and um, that actually told me that God wanted me to forgive me. And I didn't know that God forgave me, um, but I didn't believe I was worthy to forgive myself. And um, it was such a great place to actually say, I'm worth it. I'm okay. He calls me beloved. 
I can be forgiven for that sin, even though I knew better, because, you know, everybody else has these horror stories, and they come to Christ, and then they have this beautiful life, and I thought, how can you have a great life and know Jesus, and then screw up your life, and then and then be forgiven, but it's true, we can be, God wants us to walk in a place of forgiveness, in fact, you know, if we don't forgive ourselves, we'll never love ourselves, and if we never love ourselves, we can't ever love anybody else well. Because in the Bible, it says he commands us to love others as we love ourselves. So if you're in a place of self-hate or unforgiveness and not loving yourself, you won't. You won't be able to walk in pure love. Um, anyway, so I realized that I couldn't fix me, but God could. I realized that I'm not who I say I am but I, I am who he says I am. And you know what? That's, a, that's something that I is very daily for me, and I have to remind myself all the time who God says I am and what he says about me, not what I think about me. So the good news is that we have a choice. So in um, one of my favorite verses in Deuteronomy 31, 30 and 31, um, God says... Um, the word is very near us, it's in our mouth and it's in our heart, that he sets before us life and prosperity, death and destruction, that he commands us to love the Lord our God and to walk in his ways and keep his commandments and decrees and laws. And then he says we'll live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. He also says he sets before us, it's kind of repetitive, same chapter, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And then, next chapter, the most encouraging thing, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you and never forsake you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you, and he will never leave you nor for forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Sorry. Withness breaks brokenness. God with us. He names himself that Emmanuel God with us because withness breaks brokenness maybe suffering doesn't have to torch us torch our purpose but maybe it's in suffering that we find real communion with God um, I it's one of my favorite books the broken way and it talks so much about brokenness, but about what God can do in brokenness and the healing that he can do and the restoration that he can do. You see, God's brokenness, his broken heart next to our broken heart is what heals us. And he then, before the night that he knew he was going to be betrayed, he broke bread and he gave thanks. And that's what we can do. We can give thanks in our brokenness staying close to the Father, 
who was broken for, who sent his son to be broken for us, and we can be healed. And it doesn't have to turn into a cancer. Um, there's so many great examples of people that, that took their brokenness and did great things with them. But there's also examples of people that stuffed their brokenness and ended up with a bitter, ugly life. Um, so today, as you, um, I have a little thing on your table. I'm not going to make you talk to each other about your brokenness, so don't get worried. <laughs> but if you want to take it home, uh, I think uh, it, it asks you about losses, maybe losses that you've ignored. But the number seven says, do you need to return to a place of loss that you ignored or didn't process and give yourself permission to grieve and lament and be angry so that you can ultimately surrender and be comforted and find peace in the arms of the one who calls you beloved? If you need to do that, just realize that it's, it's going to be time well spent because um, all of those broken places that you think are not so significant, they, um, they need to have grace poured into them and love poured into them so that you can heal and so that through that brokenness, you can also be a river of life and love and healing for others in their brokenness. Thank you.